Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. So, we before we like get into jumping into answering that first question, um, I got one question for you. And Christine, like, she will ask me this sometimes just joking, like, you mad or not? Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Just, just something that we do every once in a while, like, you mad or not? I think when we talk about anger, we automatically have this negative baggage that comes along with it. Anger is just an emotion, though. Like, it's neutral in and of itself, right? Like, Throughout scripture, you actually see God even displaying anger. There's even portions of scripture that say it's be angry, but don't sin, right? Anger in and of itself is a very neutral thing. How we navigate that anger certainly has some, it can either be positive or negative, right? But I think it's important that when we start answering the question or when we start to think about the question, is it okay to be mad with God? Ultimately, anger is a neutral reality of what it is to be human. It's what happens after that that we have to be concerned about. So we have to kind of think about that before we actually start answering the question, is it okay to be mad with God when tragedies happen? I've had tragedies happen in my life. And it's, it, there's no way in the world that I have tragedies happen and I feel good about it. So to be completely honest, the quick answer to that is, yeah, actually is okay to be mad with God. Some of you are like, what? Only if you have in your mind that anger equals disrespect, anger equals dishonoring, anger equals rejection, anger equals... Some of us, that's all we've ever learned, is anger equals rejection. And if that's what we have in our mind, then perhaps a part of this sermon is also redefining what anger looks like for us. Because I can be angry with you and love you, And God can be angry with me and love me. And I can be angry with God and still reverence and love God. Let's let's jump into Psalm 13 and we'll, we'll read that. I actually preached on this a few years ago. But Psalm chapter 13, it says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look The other way, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? All these questions, questions, questions. And some of you, if you've read Psalm 13, you read it like David was sad. (laughs) But that, that question, how long? Yes, it may mean time, but it also may mean intensity. Right? Sometimes when we're like, you're going through pain. 
How long doesn't matter. It's just how intense is this going to be? I've never given birth. Don't plan on it. But I thank all of you women who have the ability to do such things. <laughs> and I'm not going to be the man that says, like, oh, that contraction, it, it was short. Like, it was short. <laughs> it was short. <laughs> You try that. <laughs> no, I'm good. There isn't any way for us to know what David was experiencing in this moment. But one of the things that I think it's important for us to know is that the Psalms do cover a portion of David's life. The same David that was like slay Goliath was being chased down by his father-in-law, King Saul. King Saul was jealous of David because the people loved David more. And then King Saul literally went on a rampage looking for this man, chasing him for more than 10 years around the wilderness. David has done no wrong. But simply because Saul was jelly, you mad or not? No, simply because, <laughs> simply because Saul was jealous, David is on the run for his life, and at least a couple of times could have took Saul out, but he didn't, and still Saul is chasing him. How long are you going to let this dude chase me, God? I know that you read that like, God, how long is it going to be? But I, I think it's okay for us to imagine that David is pretty ticked off at this point. It's okay. He continues. Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God, exclamation point. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let it, my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Some of us haven't had any enemies for real. And so we don't necessarily know what that feels like. Just keep living. That's what my great-grandmother says. Just keep living. But this is the part. But all of that emotion, all of these questions, all of these exclamation points, this is what it leads up to. Verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. This is a six-verse psalm. Two-thirds of it, David is expressing intense emotion. Intense emotion and disappointment. Is it okay to be disappointed with God? If somebody is chasing you in the wilderness for 10 years and you ain't done nothing wrong, Absolutely, it's okay to be disappointed. How come, how, how is it, God, that you can, like, split red seas, <laughs> okay, like, send fiery chariots to get prophets, you can make axe heads float, you can kill giants, but you can't get this dude who I've done nothing wrong to to stop chasing me. Absolutely, I'm disappointed. If you ain't lived that, if you've not experienced that yet, just keep living. The longer we walk with God, yes, more peace 
Yes, more joy we grow and our spirit becomes more connected and more co- we have more communion with him. But also, we have to deal with some mature stuff like when God don't do what I want him to do. And still, I will trust in your unfailing love. <laughs> I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Even before he's rescued. And the only reason David can say that is because he's been rescued before. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So something that we should remember. God is not shaken by our disbelief, sorrow, or even our anger. A part of why we ask the question, is it okay for us to be mad with God when tragedies happen, is because we think that when I display anger to God, he's going to act like humans and be shaken by it. He ain't shaken by my anger. (laughs) He's not. He made up anger. Think about that. He made it up. It doesn't disturb him. And my anger alone doesn't offend God. I get to express anger. I get to express disappointment when tragedies happen. And the part that I have to be cautious about is not the expression of frustration. As if I don't ever make it to the last one-third of Psalm 13... Then I got something to worry about. How long, God, will I have to deal with this pain? How long do I have to put up with this? How intense will this get? At some point, something has to click over inside of me that says, I'll trust in your unfailing love. You've been good. You've rescued me in the past. And I believe you'll do it again. That's the thing that we have to keep in. It's okay to have the whole little, like, you know, fruit cocktail of all of these emotions, but at some point, the thing that happens to us as mature believers is, even in my frustration with the fact that you aren't rescuing me right now, I'll trust in your unfailing love. You have rescued me in the past. You've been good. And just to make that point a little bit further, it is an act of faith to bring my anger to God. Some of us feel like it is an act of irreverence to bring faith to God or bring anger to God. That's not it. It is an act of faith to say that, God, you can handle the intensity of what I'm feeling right now and not reject me. You can handle my anger and not want to turn your back from me. But you still look at me with mercy and grace and walk with me even through the challenges of being frustrated. Now, here's the beautiful thing. When you start actually living that out, when you actually express some anger to God and he's still there, We learn how to love because I can actually do that with my family and friends too. 
Some of us have never actually expressed real-life anger with someone around us and believe that they're still going to stay. Like, we hold it and hold it and hold it, and then by the time we can't hold it anymore, we express, we express anger, and we just know they're going to leave. <laughs> and we actually do so in a way so they leave so that they, we don't even have to navigate this afterwards. But God's like, blow up at me and see what happens. I'm still going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. That's what unconditional love looks like. And when you get done blowing up, and you settle down a little bit, just remember, this doesn't feel good, but I'm good. All right, you ready to keep walking? All right, let's go. We're going to come back to that in a moment when we tie these together. The next question had to do with resting in the Lord. What does it look like to rest in the Lord? This question is actually not as simple as the first one. The first one was like, yeah, you can be angry with God. It's fine. He, he don't care. <laughs> He's fine with that. But this one is a little more challenging because what does it look like to rest in the Lord, honestly, is anything and everything. So I want us to perhaps remove the thought, what does it look like to rest in the Lord, and consider a different question. What keeps me from resting in the Lord? Right? What keeps me from resting in the Lord? I, um, I shared this at Bible study Thursday, which Bible study Thursday was great. <laughs> Honestly, I really enjoyed that time. So if you're not aware, we have a Bible study here Thursday, starts at 6.30, every single Thursday, 6.30 to 8-ish, because we get into a conversation and it goes to 8.15, 8.30 sometimes. <laughs> um, but you can leave if you need to at 8. But... I have been personally wrestling with um, some things in my own life. And I shared this on Thursday um, that I, over like the last month, I've just kind of been wrestling and going back and forth. And there was a point where I was praying. I hadn't even like gotten out of bed yet. And I was just laying there and I woke up wrestling in my mind and I was like, God, why can't I just be? <laughs> At some point, like if I'm not trying to like mature or grow in an area, then there's some challenge that I got to figure out. Why can't I just be? And the Holy Spirit said, why can't you? I was like, ooh, why can't I? <laughs> if you're asking me that, then why can't I? Because that sounds like something I need to dig into. <laughs> And I immediately thought of Philippians chapter 4. Yes. It reads in 4 verses 11 through 13. Uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians and he's thanking them for sending him gifts and all of that stuff. But he says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. 
I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Many of us have never actually connected those two portions of Scripture. We don't even realize they're together. But that's one flow of thought. Paul is talking about being content and then says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'd like to tell you that after reading that, I had an aha moment immediately. Nope, I didn't. This turned into a two and a half hour long prayer morning. Not just me in my room praying. I got dressed I gave my dog a walk. I took the kids where they needed to go. And all the while, just stirring. And this is just stirring inside of me. And while I was on my walk, um, these things came to mind. I actually had to, like, take my phone out and type them in. And I'm going to read to you from my journal, right? This is my prayer journal that I just, whenever I'm having moments, it says, content means satisfied neither striving for more or less. This, however, is not the same thing as not wanting things to change. Change is inevitable. A part of being content is accepting that reality. Because change is inevitable, it is not a sign of discontentment to steer that change in a healthy direction. That kind of intentionality is a reflection of wise stewardship of one's life. It is possible to be satisfied with one's current reality while consistently steering the inevitable change in a healthy direction. And then I had like, oh, thank you, Lord, like (laughs) moment where God revealed to me that I, the reason why I can't just be is because I'm discontent. Not because he hasn't provided peace, but because I I'm always looking for something to be different. I'm looking for something to be more, or I'm looking for something to be less, or I'm trying to figure out and trying to strategize and trying to move this way and trying to avoid this or trying to get that. And at some point, I've got to be able to just be. So the question, what does it look like to rest? It looks like anything and everything, but what keeps us from rest is our discontent. It's not our external circumstances. It's not what's going on around me, even in tragedy. What? Even in tragedy. Because I actually started thinking about that too, because I was like, okay, I had a bunch of what ifs for God, because that's how he and I get down every once in a while. Like, well, what if this happens, God? How can I be content if that happens? (laughs) And I started imagining some pretty morbid things But then I started really processing. If a loved one passes away and the deep pain that comes along with that, I don't get to control that. But can I be in that moment content even with the sorrow that I feel, not wanting it to lessen, knowing that it will lessen because change is inevitable? But in this moment, God, I embrace the sorrow that comes along with my grief, and I also receive your mercy for this moment. 
Am I able to do that? Or am I in such deep anguish that I forget about God's goodness and my contentment leaves because I just want the pain to go away? But if I am able to say this pain is intense, God, and I'm not going to thank you for the pain, I ain't that mature, But I am going to say to you, this sorrow is intense. But I'm willing to be in this space with you, God, because you said you won't leave. So you didn't abandon me. And even if it gets worse, I choose to embrace what it is. And may my soul move in a direction that heals and grows and restores. At this point, I'm convinced after processing that with God that a part of why we stay in sorrow or in anger or in anguish as long as we do is because we either fight against it and it sticks around longer because we don't get an opportunity to actually process it. Or we dive in so deep that we forget that God actually has designed our emotions to have feeling and release. We embrace it and then we release. And contentment allows me to be in every situation not happy about my external circumstances. but believing and living like I know that God is good. So what if our prayer looks something like this? Heavenly Father, I am angry, upset, mad, sad, depressed, etc. I hate the fact that blank is happening. And to be honest, I'm disappointed that you sat back and watched while it happened, knowing that it would turn out this way. That doesn't feel like love to me. Even though my emotions are struggling to trust you, my mind remembers how you brought me through challenges in the past. Holy Spirit, please continue to remind me of how you were active with me and working in that situation when my emotions are tempted by the crazy going on around me. You know what you're doing. Even though I can't see all the details, I trust that you can. And because you know and you love me, I trust that the details you see will result in good, even though this currently feels like trash. In Jesus' name. Notice how the prayer doesn't even actually ask God to change it. But I get to acknowledge all the feelings that I have about it. But then at some point, my soul has to kick in and say, God's still good. This is garbage and God is good. Amen. Resting in God means contently trusting that God is intricately involved and ultimately in control in all things. That's what resting looks like. So you can be resting while jogging. (laughs) 
You can be resting in the Lord while working second shift. You can be resting in the Lord while arguing with your children. You can be resting in the Lord while juggling finances. You can be resting in the Lord while mourning your parents' passing. You can be resting in the Lord regardless of what's going on around you because regardless of what's going on around you, God is good. And my anger doesn't eclipse his goodness. My disappointment doesn't eclipse his goodness. My sorrow doesn't take away the fact that he's good. And he's so good that he's willing to be with me in all of that. I know that we've thought about like he's willing to be with me in my sadness and in my sorrow. Like he comforts me when I'm sad. Well, he also comforts me when I'm ticked off. If I let him. If I let him. If I let him. But if I let my disappointment with the fact that he's not moving when I want him to, to actually keep me from going to him, well, then I actually don't even get to experience the comfort of God when I'm angry and live in the rest that comes along with being in him. So there's one picture I want you to see, and it's a cartoon. <laughs> Some of us remember this from the Gospels. Jesus and the disciples had to go across the sea and a storm came. Jesus taking a nap. <laughs> They're like, hey, get some shut eye. The cartoon says, just give me five more minutes, right? <laughs> I know that we've talked about that from the standpoint that, God, that Jesus is God and he knows that he's like, you know, I think when we think about this, like Jesus is God, he knows it's not his time, so he can actually take a nap because he knows he's not going to die, right? <laughs> right? Some of us, like, we go there. But I also think that there's an intimacy that the son has with the father that says I can rest regardless of what's going on around me because even if I do die, I'm cool. That's not easy. And that's okay that it's not easy. God doesn't call us to easy things or expect us to do hard things immediately. But at some point, he wants all of his children to be able to be to the point where our lives are in complete chaos, but we're still able to take a nap. I know some of us are at the point right now where worry keeps us up at night, but at some point, it is the will of the Father not that you are not concerned, but that you're still able to get a full night's rest even if that thing doesn't work itself out by morning. I know that some of us wake up in the middle of the night anxious because this is happening or that's happening or this isn't happening or that's not happening. But at some point, it is the will of the Father that I grow in Him so much that when it wakes me up in the middle of the night, I can pray and tell that thing to chill for a moment and go back to sleep. That may not be where I am right now. 
That's okay. Don't receive that as condemnation or judgment. Just see that as a vision for where we should be going. That's where I'm trying to get to. Try to get to a point where I'm still concerned, but I'm not worried anymore. I'm still a good steward, but I'm not afraid of what's going to happen if it doesn't go the way I'm anticipating. So the reflection and action for the day is, do I trust God or do I trust God to change my situation? No, that's a question of deepening and maturing in faith. Because they are different. I'm not saying it's not good to trust God to change your situation. I think that's great. That's the beginning of that space of maturing. But even if God doesn't change my situation, do I trust him? That is not an easy thing to, for us to say. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, listen, I, this, whole, this week I was still wrestling with that. <laughs> So I'm not saying this because I got it already. <laughs> I'm saying it because that's where we should be going. At some point as a body of believers, we should say, if my situation never changes, I still trust him. Because he is good, and if he sees this situation, I trust that he has also using this for his glory and for my good. And the last one is pray like you know God is good. These are actually deeply reflective. Pray like you know God is good. Some of us pray like we think or we're trying to prove to ourselves that he's good. God, if you do it this way, then I'll know you're good. Like, I know I've done that. God, if you heal this and I'd be able to tell the world how good you are. God, if you make a way financially, then I'll testify of your goodness all, all, all everywhere I go. Pray like you know God is good. God, regardless of what happens, I'm going to tell somebody you're good. Because <laughs> you're good. Yeah. Period. This is how we rest in God. And when God can't feel your goodness based upon my external circumstances, God, I'm disappointed. God, I'm angry. But because you've shown over and over again in my life and the lives of people around me that you're good, I'm sticking here until you change me or you change it. pray. Our God, you are good to us. This world is not. This world promises us things that feel good, that do not always result in our good. And you lead us through things that do not always feel good, but you make for our good. May our values and desire align with who you are 
help us to trust you. I want you to do something before I'm pausing in the middle of this prayer because I can already tell that some of us had something in our head while this, during this sermon. <laughs> we had something in our head that we were angry with God about or some tragedy going on or something happening that we need to actually just surrender. We've done this before here. Just as a reminder, isn't anything magical or mystical about it, but I just want you to hold out your hand and just imagine for me that the thing that you're angry with God about or disappointed or frustrated or can't figure out is just sitting there. Sometimes we just got to get our bodies involved. And I don't want you to let it go. I don't want you to open up your hands and let it slip through. No, I actually want you to offer it to God. I want you to offer it to God. Just whisper. You don't even, even if, it, if it's too intense and too personal and you don't want to actually whisper it out loud, but just say, God, I give you this. And then when you feel like, when you feel like you've been able to surrender it a little bit, I'm not going to even pretend you might be able to do it all right now, but when you feel like you're able to surrender it just a little bit, go ahead and just put your hands back in your lap. God, we give you our burdens because you said that we can trade them for your peace. God, we give you our challenges. I know we want to only offer to you things that are beautiful and things that are perfect and things that are blemishless, but God, you also ask us to bring to you our pain. So the pain in my body that won't go away, God, I give to you. The pain from my past that I seem to not be able to get away from, I give to you. I'm no longer running from it. I surrender it to you. And in this moment, declare in faith, you are good, period. You are good, no strings attached. You are good unconditionally. Because in my surrendering, I do not surrender it with the expectation that you will move the way I want you to. I surrender my discontent along with it so that I can receive your rest. In Jesus' name. Thank you for Amen. listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, Please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.